all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation within startups. Today, I am talking to Spencer Hutchins, who is the founder and CEO of Concert Health, which is a collaborative care management platform for primary care. Spencer, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Tell me, Spencer, what is Concert Health? Tell me the Concert Health story. Yeah, make well, it really interesting. To, really interesting. Like, like, blow me away. Good. Well, Use we're voices. Trying build, we're trying to build the country's uh, best behavioral health medical group. So uh, we are incredibly uh, fortunate about employing better than 250 behavioral health clinicians, psychiatrists, and psychiatric nurse practitioners. We're delivering care in 13 states right now. Uh, what? is a little different approach is that we're focused intensely on integrating behavioral health services into the primary care provider that we all trust most, right? So we treat people not separately, but in direct connection with their primary care provider using a model called collaborative care, which is an evidence-based way to sort of uh, both screen for, diagnose, and treat a host of behavioral health symptoms in the primary care setting. And so basically, you know, if you, if you, uh, have a concert-enabled uh, primary care team, right, if they're working with us. And we work with about 65 medical groups and health systems across the country now, have cared for about 40,000 patients. Um, and uh, instead of, you know, what, what happens now is probably half the time, if you have depression, um, you don't even bring it up. You don't realize it yourself, or you might, you kind of hide it a little bit, right? You know, uh, fortunately, that's getting better, right? There's more and more awareness and willingness to seek care, but still a lot of people that are maybe resistant, either because they don't realize it or are resistant to the idea. Uh, but and maybe if you do bring it up to your primary care doctor, you do it eight minutes into a seven-minute visit, right? And then you, you end up with a really unsatisfactory answer for everybody, which is they shove a medication into your hand, tell you to go see a therapist and run to their next appointment, right? Um, and you're not really sure if you want to take the med or what it means or whether or not, or, and even if you try to find a therapist, it's really hard to find one in your network. If they work with Concert, you know, they say, hey, I'm going to have um, a colleague of mine at a, at a group called Concert Health call you today or tomorrow, and they'll touch base with you in between my visits, see how things are going, track your symptoms, um, and, and teach you some coping strategies that a lot of my patients find uh, really valuable. And, um, and they will let me know what's going, uh, going on, so we'll actually have a shared plan, make sure we're really supporting you. And I can do a much better job as your doctor if I work alongside this other professional. And it would be all right if I have to give you a ring. And so from a patient, a lot more integrated, you finally actually have providers that know what the heck uh, each other's doing, right? And so you actually have a shared plan, a shared understanding of what's happening. And then our psychiatrists get to work in the background to really support primary care as they make those decisions about diagnosis, medication, all of that stuff. So they feel like a hero. They feel confident. Um, and they do a great job managing a host of symptoms without needing a referral and identifying really serious issues and hopefully getting you to the right side of care uh, for the minority of time you're going to need more than primary care. And how does the billing work? Well, uh, this model called collaborative care has been building an evidence base for 20 years um, that showed 
Um, not only uh, does it provide great results, it provides much better results than primary care can act on its own. Frankly, almost certainly provides better results than behavioral health clinicians often prescribe on their own, right? This com combination. And also for years, it's shown that it pays for itself, um, that um, by uh, doing this early intervention, you end up saving um, uh, health system expense later on, right? Um, some of it through escalating behavioral health expense, you know, more medications, you know, a higher level of intensive outpatient programs or psychiatry visits, but a lot of it on the medical side, right? Avoiding your pre-diabetes becoming type two, things like that. The reason we started Concert, and I, and I had the really great fortune of starting it with an amazing uh, and inspiring clinician, Verna Little, who's a psychologist, a social worker. She's one of the people that was really around, right around its birth of this model and has been part of shaping it. The reason we started Concert was because in 2017, it became a Medicare benefit. Um, and uh, after uh, 2017, um, uh, almost every commercial health plan followed. And now Medicaid, uh, Wisconsin just snuck up on us and added it to the Medicaid fee schedule as state number 21. So it's really, really broad insurance coverage. And so basically what Concert does is work as the easy button for groups that say, this sounds great, uh, let's do, but I, I'm not sure I know how to do it on my own. And so we essentially build the service line alongside primary care uh, and find a way that both teams are paid properly for the great care we do together. That's amazing. So t 20 years of research, I mean, obviously if a a therapist and a doctor collaborate, the outcome's going to be better. I mean, that that goes yep. without saying, but easier said than done. However, right. the, the business model wasn't there until 2017 when it actually became reimbursable. Yeah, I'd say there's, there's um, a couple of, you know, one is I'd say actually, you know, just the co-location doesn't do a whole lot, right? So you put a therapist in a physician's office. It's great. It's more convenient. They're working down the hall. They might know each other. But in reality, it doesn't really change the way the two practices work. The therapist fills up. They're doing their normal schedule. They've got a four-month wait. They just happen to work down the hall and nothing. You know, it doesn't actually change it that much. The two things that really dramatically change it is, one, this, you know, the jargon we use in healthcare is called treat-to-target or measurement-based care. So one really important part is that we don't take our benefit for granted. We actually use a tool with patients every month to actually assess quantitatively their symptoms. So most commonly for depression, there's this, there's this little survey you get called the PHQ-9. Probably most of your listeners have gotten it at least one time when they go to the doctor's office. that sort of says, hey, in the last two weeks, how often have you had these various set of symptoms? Use that not only to screen at the front end, but use it over time. That really helps everyone stay accountable, the patient, the, the behavioral health clinician, the primary care doctor on who's not getting better, you know, or who's getting worse and how do we change, change up the treatment if they are. And the second point is the psychiatric consultation. So for folks that aren't getting better, for folks that have really bad symptoms to do this weekly review in which the psychiatric provider works with the therapist and the PCP to say, okay, what are we going to change here? New form of therapy, new approach, new diagnosis, new med, new dose. And it's that sort of rigor around uh, measuring, improving, testing, and learning, kind of an engineering mindset to behavioral health symptoms that really drives the value. So two things that came to mind. One, when you said Medicare covered it, was it a Part B benefit? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a physician service, right? And so it's uh, a, one thing that's really powerful is that collaborate, you know, sometimes healthcare we just made this terrible decision a couple of generations ago to pretend that the mental health care system was separate from the rest of healthcare. We called it like, oh, this, that's behavioral health. That's something different. We have a different set of health plans, different set of coverage. 
it was just, it, it's an original sin, right? Because now every primary care doctor will tell you, every person that struggled or seen someone in their family, it's, it's, it's intermingled, right? You know, the idea that your depression is separate from your obesity, which is turning into you know, pre-diabetes, which is turning into type 2, <clears throat> those things feed on each other. And uh, you've got to manage it together. A nice thing that Medicare set the precedent for, and now almost every commercial health plan in the country and the majority of Medicaid beneficiaries now have it, and it's part of the medical benefit. It's part of your medical primary care benefit, which means you can get a primary care copay. Um, you know, you don't need to deal with those behavioral health carve-outs. It's part of your core insurance. Got it. And so, like today, so like from a business model perspective, and this is what I was you know, how I would think about it. I mean, you're a tech-enabled service company, meaning there's humans that have to deliver value. And I think about on the the demand side, how were how you able to balance, you know, recruiting um, the patients and making sure that, that the doctor's engaged, you know, in a way that was meaningful and repeatable? Because, you know, I know these doctors just as well as anybody. I mean, they're so scatterbrained. Everyone's busy. You know, so how did how did you keep concert top of mind? You know, I mean, it's a it's a it's a constant challenge, and um, um, a thousand things we've learned over the last five years, which are part of the core success and IP of the organization um, in terms of the sort of go to market, you know, muscle. Um, I'd say first and foremost, our view's been you got to have a lot of empathy for the primary care doctor and deeply understand um, their situation, which is uh, they feel undertrained. Right. You know, they got a couple of shifts back in med school. You know, they used to have drug reps come along and talk to them about stuff. And then every day they're seeing depression and anxiety, alcohol abuse, substance abuse. And they're and they are wishing they could send it to referrals. But there's like nobody that takes insurance. Right. And even, you know, now increasingly more people would like to engage in uh, especially, you know, would, if you could find them a therapist or a psychiatrist, they'd go. Uh, but you can't find them. And there's still a lot of people, particularly older adults, particularly folks from different ethnicities, different lived backgrounds, maybe less likely to engage. And so the PCPs left on their own, feeling like their counselor, psychiatrist, all wrapped in one. And oh, by the way, you got to do it in seven minutes, right? Because your business model as a primary care doctor doesn't work unless you see 25 patients today or 30 patients today. And so we try to deeply understand and appreciate that, right? And really work to sort of say, listen, let's make it easy for these people to identify. Let's really have them trust Concert Health by, by dedicating a team, really getting to know their practice patterns, and then save them a little time and stress every day, right? So they can sort of say, hey, I'm going to have someone from Concert reach out to you. I can get to my next appointment, right? Really sort of respect and appreciate that. And then be there for them on the tough patients, on the things they're not sure of, right? Um, on the diagnosis decisions and others, and, and be ready to support them, make them feel like superheroes, make them feel like they connect better. And ultimately you know, for years, they've been on treadmills, right? Primary care, we ask them to do everything and then we pay them barely at all, right? Uh, or we only pay them based on, you know, per visit, right? So they, everything's about see more throughput, more throughput, more throughput. And what we can be a small di difference on is, hey, you don't need to see more patients. You can deliver more comprehensive services to those patients, right? By really saying the definition of primary care in the future is going to include a much more robust behavioral health intervention than you've been able to do before. Um, and by really focusing on that, you know, they get excited about it, right? Because this is the way, this is, the, you know, nobody got into primary care so they could see 30 people a day and barely remember their name. No one got into primary care so they could be just a referral spigot, right? You know, they got in there because they wanted to help be that 
that partner, right? That person that really understands the patient, gets to know them and can, can make a lot of decisions themselves and help them navigate through the health system. And I think by being that partner, having empathy for what has gone wrong in the U.S. healthcare system uh, in the future and being at least a small part of making it a little bit better alongside them really goes a long way. And so there has to be an event. A visit needs to occur in which the doctor gives them this test, which I forgot. You just you just talked to it. And then they say, okay, you qualify for this. I'm going to refer over to concert. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is still uh, can be clinical judgment, right? You know, they can, you know, doctors are doing this every day, right? You know, when they go into that exam room, they sort of assess anxiety and depression, you know, things like that, either because the patient self-reports it or because they can pick it up. You know, that's their experts and we never get in the way of that clinical judgment. Uh, but we layer on top of that to say, listen, when you do that, the public health statistics say we probably pick up a little less than half, right, uh, you know, of the issues. Because if you think about that, if you're if you're getting to go into your doctor, right, that you kind of get you kind of get revved up. You get ready to go. No, I'm doing fine. Oh, it's not that bad. Right. I, I, I'll be OK. Right. And that's where those tools like the one I mentioned, the PHQ-9, um, had been um, pushed and commonly suggested, right, and often encouraged to do um, on a universal level, right? And so a lot of times, you know, uh, American Academy of Family Practice, you know, Medicare, a, uh, ACOG, the OBGYN groups, you know, are sort of suggesting um, have for years, the recommendation's been every, everyone should get that at least annually, right? You know, because you're going to pick up a lot of people that are suffering, you don't realize. And then you should also get it around other events, each trimester of your pregnancy, um, or uh, after a major medical diagnosis, after hospitalization, because you know, at each of those moments, um, both the risks of and the consequences of uncontrolled depression or anxiety or even higher. Um, One thing we've also been pushing, been in the news a lot, um, you know, is suicidality, right? And making sure people understand that you should ask around um, whether or not people have had thoughts of suicide. It's really important um, because such a high percentage of people have seen their primary care doctor within 60, 90 days before death by suicide and how powerful that can be um, as a tool to literally save lives. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. Um, so, I think about like a similar business model, like chronic care management, right? Where there's a there's a a revenue share. I don't know if you can call it a revenue share, but a a split of of fees and billing um, from a contractor basis. And I would think that their business model would be a little bit easier because their population is people with chronic care conditions, meaning two or more conditions that last over a year. And like they literally just need to plug into said EMR and find those patients if they've got the doctor's permission, of course, and then do outreach to them. Whereas you, these targets are, you know, not in the EHR, you know, they would have to be kind of like a live, a live. am I thinking about that correctly? No, they could be both. I mean, for sure. Um, um, the, uh, you know, you go in, and we do this all the time working with our medical group partners. You know, they all have, um, you know, some meaningful percentage of their patients that are already diagnosed with depression or anxiety. You can use the diagnosis codes, right? Got it. Or you okay. can use the medication stream, right? So you could see, okay, who got Prozac or who's on Lexapro, Smart. who's on, you yeah. know, those sort of things. And so similar tie-ins as you build the comfort, you know, I'd say that there's a little bit more upfront training, coaching support from us because it's a, it's a more in-depth 
clinical intervention um, than maybe a remote patient monitoring or a chronic care management, which is sort of just a check-in. And so there's a level of uh, deeper probably provider training, probably, you know, to get comfortable doing it. But then I think there's all those, you know, population health measures that you can build to um, help make sure you get your arms around everybody that's in need. Yeah, because your goal is to not interfere with the practice's workflow. You want to give them less work, not more work. That's right. Yeah, I think, you know, we focus a lot on that, which is never overpromise. But if we're doing our job right, we should be making each one of their days a little bit easier, saving them a little time and a little stress, right? Because they can have a triage point, right, that they have a high confidence in so that they can move through their day, they can connect. And then also, you know, frankly, patients with uncontrolled depression or anxiety, um, you know, they hurt the operations of the practice in a lot of ways, right? They're more likely to cancel their appointments or come in way too much, right? They're more likely to extend the visits, right? Uh, all of those sort of things, they sort of muck up the general operations. If uh, there's, if you don't feel like there's a path, right, of how can I really support this person, get them what they need and do it. And then also, you know, we hear this over and over every time we talk to doctors is it's those patients that are some of the most likely that they feel, um, they think about that night, right? You know, oh my God, Spencer, like, you know, I, I see him getting more and more desolate, right? He's losing energy. I, you know, I see the, and I just, I don't feel like I'm helping. I, I put in that, I put him on that, you know, SSRI, but I'm not sure it's the right one. He refuses to go see a therapist, you know, so those are the ones they're thinking about on their commute home. They're thinking about their kid's soccer practice, you know, as they're living their life. And the more support we give them to say, listen, I know I have a clinical partner that's an expert in this, that's got them, that's making sure people don't slip through the cracks, that can be a really powerful way to, to build and, and extend a partnership. So what's next for concert? I mean, there's so much TAM available, right? So, I mean, are you feeling like this is just an opportunity to continue to educate and, and, and further pass this model on? So is more going, going wide than going deep? How do you think about the next couple of years for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm just, you know, humbled every day uh, of the opportunity we get. You know, we're now working with some of the biggest health systems of the, in the uh, country, you know, we have uh, thousands of primary care pediatrician and OBGYNs in our backlog, you know, that are signed and we're now looking to launch. And so a lot of it is clinical and operational excellence. How do we create that? How do we hire amazing folks? Um, and then build an organization that, that cherishes and respects their work um, so that they can be the best behavioral health workforce in the country. And so a lot of it is on that just excellence, sustainability, scalability, you know, as we do that. Um, ultimately, we also are on a journey already with some of the most progressive primary care groups in the country that are shifting their model away from getting paid per visit, you know, to getting paid to keep a population healthy. You know, the jar we always like to use jargon here in healthcare, so we call it value-based care. Um, and I think we can do a lot to embed in that, make them more and more successful and make sure our, our business model sort of morphs alongside them as we both take more and more accountability for outcomes and more and more accountability for total population health. Um, and, you know, I also think that ultimately we're doing this in, in, in pockets now. And I think there's just so much opportunity as we continue to scale, as our tens of thousands of patients becomes hundreds of thousands of patients we're supporting. Um, we can be a really powerful site of navigation. You know, there's so much innovation in mental health right now um, from long running, long standing organizations in the community, from a new breed of startup organizations that are scaling, um, that are doing individual conditions, certain severe and persistent mental illness things. And I think we have an opportunity to really help identify the highest quality folks and then you know find a way to navigate patients to the right place. And I think that's a really powerful place for us to play in the ecosystem long term as well, to be that 
general contractor sitting alongside primary care. Yeah. So customer discovery must be very, very important in your business because there's probably a really large upfront cost that you have to lay out in order to get set up with, with concert, right? Because I'm sure they're not paying you set up fees, right? These, these docs, they gotta, you know, they're, they're getting paid on a variable rate on, on their fee for service. And, you know, you need to set up the infrastructure, the training, the integrations and all of that. So you really want to make sure you nail the right customer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, and, um, as we've moved up, Upmarket, you know, now working with some health systems, we've been public about Advent Health, you know, based in Florida, but in nine markets, Common Spirit, um, uh, we're working with across many markets, uh, Trinity, uh, starting in New England. Um, uh, you know, we've been fortunate, those certainly take some time to do, but I think we have been really looking for, you know, one of our core values at Concert is trust. Um, and, you know, we try to be trusting of our team, right, and, and give people objectives um, and, and let them flourish, right, and trust they're going to find their way to it. And also really look for trustworthy partners, right, and that's, I think, people that want to create a genuine win-win relationship and have that be centered on winning commercially, operationally through excellence in patient care, you know, and finding those things. So I think we are getting better and better. And, you know, I think we're proud of, frankly, jettisoning a fair amount of groups from the, from the sales pipeline, if we're not getting the feeling that, hey, they're, they're in it to win it together, you know, that this is going to be win-win, you know, not a adversarial relationship, um, and that it's going to be focused on winning through excellence and care. Right. Um, if I have like a lot of problems, can I call you just like directly? We don't do we don't do a lot of direct to consumer work. I mean, there's some great organizations that are trying uh, to do that, right? Um, um, you know, we, we've taken some and other things, but you know, I think our our real belief is I'm glad there's direct to consumer uh, organizations out there. Some of them are doing great work. Um, I'm glad there's direct to employer, you know, conversations in which they're trying to get these for their as an employee benefit. But we think of both of those as. Um, you know, building a better silo, right? Which is creating great experiences, good quality, but still thinking about behavioral health as a standalone thing. For some people, that's the right thing. That might be all that they're struggling with and they really just need to connect. But, you know, our belief and what our, you know, value is, is that integration with the, the doctor they trust most is going to help unlock um, uh, both uh, clinical outcomes and access in a way that nothing else will. So that's really our sole focus. That's really good information, but like, I'm still going to call you if I have problems. <laughs> like, I've got your cell phone number. I don't want to do a lot of other work. I'm just going to call you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is. I mean, one thing I'm always, um, and for those of us that have been business stooges in the U.S. healthcare space, it is, you, you, you have to really respect that of just of, of what, is, what is different to be a clinician, right? You know, because, um, um, you know, I see that all the time, right? You know, you, you've got to flip that, whether it's our medical leadership, our behavioral health leadership, right? People always do that. And then you got to flip and go, oh, I actually need to, I, I need to help you right now. I need to support you. And you realize that, you know, if, if you choose that calling, if you're a social worker, uh, a nurse practitioner, psychiatrist, that it's not just the job, it's something you have to do. And we got a lot of them on this team. So um, <laughs> uh, definitely don't call me, uh, but we've got some great people here. Awesome. Spencer, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. A couple canned questions. What is your favorite book? Oh, you know, um, you know, I was just reading this kind of recently. I've been loving it. I lived in California, moved here 12 years ago. I've just been 
fascinated by how badly we have messed up housing policy in this state oh, yeah. and built enough it's of terrible. them and why it's so darn expensive. And so the life and death of American cities by Jane Jacobs, she wrote it back in the seventies, but I just think it's sort of, you read that and it, it all makes sense. And it's a little depressing because it was the beginning of my life. She read that, wrote that, and we're still messing some of the things up. She figured out way back then. What was the best piece of business advice you've ever given or ever gotten? You know, I'd say in my recent journey, a few folks that, uh, you know, I, I did a company before concert when he had some success, uh, you know, I was involved. And I think there's a little bit of, um, there was a, there was a tendency in healthcare in particular to say, oh, if you, if you, if you think you want to go raise venture capital, it has to be a software business, right? Because that's what VCs want to invest in software scales. And I think I had a few mentors that said, and helped me get to the point that said, listen, just go solve the problem the way it needs to be solved, right? And then, yeah, you got to make sure, is there a business there? Or don't use a startup as the vehicle to, to make that difference. Um, and really understanding that, you know, we use the jargon now, tech-enabled service to mean, hey, it's not just the app. It's, it's the app and the great clinicians. Um, and um, I think that was just, it was a profound piece of advice. A few people got me towards and recognized, like, don't fit it into a, a financially motivated spectrum or a, you know, help someone else pattern recognize from, from things they like to do, but focus on, you know, what is it that takes it to solve the problem? I think that's what helped us realize that Concert was, yes, going to have great software, yes, going to have great engineers and designers, uh, but it really also needed to be uh, uh, inclusive of just amazing clinicians that helped get the real work done. What's the coolest, besides Concert, what's the coolest healthcare company that you like to follow? Oak Street? Yeah, favorite. I can't pick favorites. Oak Street is a company that um, I've inspired. You've been inspired by from the beginning. One of my board members, Edward Bergmark, was the first outside investment there that moved uh, here in town. I always love calling out Equip Health. Um, they're an amazing uh, group of uh, founders. Uh, we've been on the journey about the same time. They're in a um, virtual eating disorder provider um, that I think is just doing really inspiring work um, and um, have loved uh, loved following Christina and Aaron, that founding team, uh, and uh, grabbing uh, grabbing drinks every once in a while and, and, and sharing notes um, because I've uh, just been inspired by them and love the fact that it's an example of really health, uh, San Diego being the epicenter of health tech. You're going to pump your book? What about Wellbe Health? Yeah. Wellbe is a great company, early stage. I've uh, been advising them and uh, doing amazing stuff in chronic care management and uh, re- remote patient monitoring. Love them. Seth and Ty and the team there are doing great work. There was a great, uh, there was a great um, article. Uh, in, it was a Crunchbase article today about RPM. It's pretty interesting. But um, anyway, yeah, no. And anyway, thanks for, thanks for coming in. Uh, everybody, we are dropping an episode every Tuesday on all your favorite platforms, Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. If you like it, please subscribe, leave a comment, share with your friends. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.